Hello and welcome back to the Upper Bowl GM podcast. As always, it is your host, Nick Zerars. I am here moments after the Tampa Bay Buccaneers prevailed up in New England 19-17 in a driving rainstorm. We have got a whole lot of football, both college and NFL, to discuss on today's show. But, 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 there is a whole lot to dissect across the various matchups we saw. I will touch on Thursday Night Football because my boy Joe Burrow had one of his early career signature moments and prevailed late against a bad coaching staff and a whole bunch of other things. The New York Giants and New York Jets won football games on the same day. They won games on the same day as the New York Yankees for the first time in like 10 years. Like, I'm not bullshitting you. That's the first time the Yankees, Giants, and Jets have all won a game on the same day in almost 10 years. There were weird things happening out there in the football universe today. But, 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 before I get to today's show, I do got to remind everyone to help support the show. So, there's a few ways you can do that. The easiest one, subscribe to the show, whatever platform you're on, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play, whatever podcasting platform you're on, this show is there, it's free, subscribe. Number two, if you see the show on social media, whether it be Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, Snapchat, wherever you see the Upper Bowl GM podcast, signal boost it, help other people find it help expand the conversation this is a show for fans next this is only if you're an apple podcast user because apple controls the universe you got to help me out if you are an apple user leave the show a review so you go to the show's page you scroll past our recent episodes down there at the bottom there's going to be five stars that are all translucent you hit the one furthest to the right That's a five-star review. Underneath that is a button with purple letters that says, Write a review. Hit that. Leave me a few words. Support your content creators, folks. All of us are out here busting our asses to give you informative, entertaining, good content. At least I am. I don't know about anyone else, but I'm trying to not just give you the bullshit you hear everywhere else, whatever podcast or radio show or whatever you're listening to. I'm trying to go a little bit deeper than the bullshit. That's the entire point of this show, is that people who are passionate about their teams are able to give a platform to talk about why their team is driving them crazy, or on occasion, why their team is making them encouraged or makes them feel better about the way things have gone so far. So, we had a very, very telltale week in both the NFL and college football I'm going to talk to you guys about it in one second. Enjoy this drop. Mahomes swings it. Touchdown! Jones on first down. Wide open. It's Barkley. And Saquon Barkley will take it into the end zone. A lot of time. Directing traffic. Going to go deep. Has a man deep. It is caught for the touchdown. Corey Davis. And... With that, I am looking to my left as Michelle Tafoya of Sunday Night Football interviews Tom Brady as the Buccaneers prevailed in a driving rainstorm in Foxborough, Massachusetts. I'm still mad at Bill. Fourth and six. 
knowing your kicker is hurt in the rain, I think I would have rather tried to see if Mac Jones could have gotten the first down there as opposed to settling for a field goal and hoping your kicker would make it. I think realistically, your kicker making a 52, 53-yard field goal injured in the rain is about as equal a probability as your quarterback converting a fourth and six. I think I would have been more inclined to let Mac Jones sling it. And if I lost with, you know, my best or my second best offensive player throwing the ball, I think I could have swallowed that a little bit better if I was Bill Belichick as opposed to losing on a missed field goal. And don't get me wrong, Folk gave it, Folk doinked it. It's not like he was short. It's not like he was wide left or right. He was pretty close and... That was a better football game than I expected it to be. I said on the podcast on Friday, I did not expect this to be a particularly good football game. I expected the Buccaneers, with their talent gap, to pull away and just kind of coast. New England had a game plan. They invited Tampa Bay to run the ball, and Tampa Bay ran the ball effectively for the first time all year. This is the first game. Tampa Bay had 100-plus yards rushing in a single game. They went for about 140, I believe, in tonight's game. And that's because New England invited them to run the ball. Belichick decided that it was more efficient for them to try and stop Tom Brady passing in short-yarded situations as opposed to throwing in favorable passing-down situations. And that's entirely how I would have approached this game. And it's what I told you guys on Friday's NFL preview episode was if New England were smart, they would try and force Tampa into obvious running situations. And if Ronald Jones and Leonard Fournette beat you as New England, you can swallow that. Granted, I will say in tonight's Sunday Night Football game, I don't think Ronald Jones and Leonard Fournette were the deciding factor. I think, realistically, Tampa Bay kind of got lucky, and I know that sounds weird to say about the defending Super Bowl champions on the road against a bad team that only has one win, but Tampa Bay got lucky Bill didn't go for it, because if Bill goes for it, I think Bill realistically has a decent chance of getting that first down on fourth down and six because that's where New England was carving Tampa Bay up. And I I know New England lost, and I don't want to spend too much time talking about a team that lost because there are so many other games, both college and NFL, we have to get to. But New England had as good a chance to win as any game they've had all year this tonight on Sunday Night Football against the best team they've played so far. Remember... New England's played the Saints, the Jets, and Miami. Those aren't exactly a murderer's row of opponents so far, and New England's only one in three. And New England probably should have won tonight. And I know that sounds crazy to say about a team playing the defending Super Bowl champions with a rookie quarterback, but New England played well enough to win tonight, and... I was thoroughly impressed with the game plan from New England tonight. I thought I spent the entire weekend talking myself into Patriots plus seven and a half with my friends solely based on the principle that Belichick would have a kitchen sink game tonight. And defensively, I can say New England had a kitchen sink game tonight. They gave Brady nothing easy. They made him work for every single yard passing he earned and... It kept Mac Jones in the game because I don't think Mac Jones and the Patriot offense played particularly well tonight, but they played well enough to hang around and 
They were converting chances. Jones had the really long streak. I believe 20 completions in a row before throwing an incompletion. New England had a chance to win tonight. And this is easily the best New England has looked all season. And part of that is I think Bill really, really wanted this game. I know everybody in the media had Scott Wickersham, the ESPN New England author, the ESPN New England Patriots writer, on their podcast this past week promoting his book it's better to be the it's better to be feared and i know the patriots lore is reamed into everyone's subconscious because they won the six super bowls with belichick and brady but this is maybe the first time in my life aside from the super bowl against the eagles where i found myself genuinely rooting for the patriots I wanted New England to pull this off, and when they sent the field goal team out there, I knew they were going to lose this game. That is the thing that sucks about it, is New England had every opportunity to win this game, but when push came to shove, Belichick said, I trust my kicker more than my quarterback, and that tells you all, all you need to know about what Bill Belichick thinks of Mac Jones as a quarterback. He's a game manager until proven otherwise. So... A whole lot we got to break down. I'm going to go as fast as possible, cover as many games, both college and NFL. Whole lot. All right, so really quick. I don't want to talk too much about Thursday Night Football because everybody already listened to their Friday football podcast that gave them all they needed to know. All I'm going to say is everything I told you about Joe Burrow is true. That guy might not be the most physically talented quarterback in the league. That guy is one of, if not the smartest guys between the ears. He is able to diagnose defenses in front of him, find guys who are open. He is the one who audibled into that zero blitz beater where he found C.J. Uzama and they got a first down. They got the field goal. My Joe Burrow-led Cincinnati Bengals are sitting at 3-1 and one after four weeks. Joe Burrow has a coach who, at the very least, at the very least, Zach Taylor does not get in Joe Burrow's way. I cannot say the same about Urban Meyer and Trevor Lawrence, who had a rough weekend. If you do not know what went on with Urban Meyer this past weekend, I highly, highly encourage you to search Urban Meyer's name on Twitter and then either Wilden, Women, College, any of those words with Urban Meyer on Twitter, and you will know exactly why I'm talking about and why I say Urban Meyer had a particularly rough weekend. So, I'm looking at the slate in front of me in my notes here. We're going to run down the line. Number one, the New York Jets and Robert Sala get their first win over the Tennessee Titans, and all I can say is... Good on Robert Sala and the Jets for capitalizing on an opportunistic situation. Tennessee, without their number one wide receiver, A.J. Brown, and their number two wide receiver, Julio Jones, were not able to push the ball down the field in the slightest bit. The Jets only sent heavy boxes out there and invited Derrick Henry to run into those heavy boxes and Derrick Henry had a good fantasy day. He had somewhere in the mid-20s, I believe 24 or 25 fantasy points, depending on how your league scores. But the Jets invited Derrick Henry and the Titans to run the ball. That was not enough. That game went to overtime. The Jets 
scored a field goal in that overtime period. Tennessee got the ball. They went down the field. Not a lot of time left. I believe about 20, 35 seconds left. It was about a fourth and medium, I believe. The Titans said, all right, we'll kick our field goal. We'll settle for the tie, whatever. Randy Bullock, miss your field goal. The New York Jets, Zach Wilson, have their first win. And I am a sentimental guy when it comes to sports, and the locker room stuff can occasionally hit me, but... I will say, Robert Sala handing out game balls for winning his first game as head coach, him telling the rest of the team, I spent my entire life waiting for a moment like this to hand out game balls. I couldn't be happier. One for a defensive player, one for Zach Wilson. Very happy to see the Jets get in the win column as a team that knows they're going to have a difficult time this year. But they they pounced on an opportunity. The Jets did mess up one of our bets from friday we will have a full recap towards the end for our picks we won two and two not atrocious but our multi-leg things fucked us up we went we got a little too cute with it we will simplify things come next friday but the jets good on the jets taking care of business in an opportunistic situation realizing they were playing a shorthanded team number three Chicago Bears, Detroit Lions, Detroit Lions going to Chicago. I thought this was a Lions spot on the way back from my girlfriend Katie's house. I was on the train. I threw a couple bucks on the Lions solely based on the fact Detroit looked like a rudderless football team last week. The Lions took care of business. David Montgomery had a pretty good game before he had to leave injured. You hope, you hope... The Iowa State product is okay. You never want to see anyone get hurt like that. That's always disheartening. But the Bears, Justin Fields, persevered in spite of all of the odds, which includes Matt Nagy, their head coach, who is not a particularly good play caller. But I will point out the Bears had someone that was not Matt Nagy calling their offense, and they won 24-14. Detroit went to the red zone four times. Did not score in any of those four attempts. Had 14 other points. If Detroit scores in the red zone, Detroit wins that game handedly. And Detroit not being able to capitalize. Considering they have an offense that features DeAndre Swift and TJ Hawkinson is a concern. You figure that is a good garbage time team. A team that's going to be able to score points even if their defense is not particularly good. So Detroit's inability to put the ball in the red zone put the ball from the red zone into the end zone. See, you caught me. For a minute there, I said, be able to put the ball into the red zone. No one's trying to get the ball in the red zone. You're trying to get in the end zone. Don't worry. I know what I'm talking about. Detroit's inability to score touchdowns in situations where they have the ball in the red zone is a major concern. Next on the list, Indianapolis, Miami. I thought this was going to be an absolute toilet bowl of a game, and I was correct. Even though the final score was 27-17, and this was one of the things I suggested on Friday's show in my picks was the Tennessee-Miami under, under 48.5. We hit easily at 27-17, which is a grand total of 34. Miami with Jacoby Brissett is just not a threatening enough offense for the other team's defense to respect, and as a team that has a reasonable pass rush and okay defensive backs in Indianapolis, 
dared Miami to throw the ball, and Miami with percent was just incapable of pushing the ball down the field to any degree. They got a garbage time d- touchdown to Mike Gesicki, the Penn State product, but Miami was never really in this game. It was not as close as 27-17 would lead you to believe. But Miami-Cleveland, this was a measuring stick game for both of these clubs, and I was thoroughly disappointed with what Cleveland came out with. I understand Minnesota is better than their 1-3 and three record, and yes, the Browns did cover the one, the uh, 2.5 point spread at 17-14, but every single time I saw the Browns on red zone, Baker Mayfield was throwing an incompletion. He was missing an o- a receiver. He was under-throwing, over-throwing. He was just not in sync with his receivers. And to some degree, I think that is a product of Minnesota employing a defense that knows exactly what Cleveland's offense wants to do because Kevin Stefanski, the Browns head coach and offensive play caller, is a Minnesota Vikings alum. He spent several years in that Minnesota offense as the QB's coach, as the offensive coordinator. So to some degree, I know Mike Zimmer knows what Kevin Stefanski wants to do, because he practices against that defense, that offense every single day in practice. And Minnesota played pretty good defense. Kirk Cousins, this was the first Kirk Cousins game. Multiple turnovers, inability to push the ball down the field. And it sucks because you saw the flashes. You saw Adam Thielen beating guys over the top. You saw Justin Jefferson beating guys over the top. And it didn't particularly matter because... Kirk Cousins just couldn't find anyone open down the field. He had ample opportunities to hit, whether it be Thielen or Jefferson down the field, for big plays. And that Browns defense, whether it be John Jefferson, Greedy Williams interception, John Jefferson had an interception, Denzel Ward playing decent coverage against Justin Jefferson. That Browns defense, it was not nearly as efficient as it was last week against the Bears. All right, so... It's hard to understand what the Browns' defense is so far because they haven't played anyone particularly well. They did dominate the Bears' offense last week, but the Bears didn't have a functioning offense. So it's kind of hard to judge what the Browns on defense are so far. But the Browns, on defense at least, were able to contain Cousins enough. I do think some of that is the limitations of the Viking scheme that... Their offensive coordinator, Gary Kubiak's kid, does not trust Kirk Cousins to make all the throws, so they limit the playbook and they change what's available to him. Dalvin Cook was limited in the offensive game plan, not nearly as many touches as you would expect if Dalvin Cook was fully healthy, which is frustrating when you have someone like Alexander Madison, who's a perfectly competent, complimentary running back. But... The Browns took care of business. I thought that might be your upsets up set special of the day somewhere between two and three at two and a half i gave vikings upset special in my group chat i didn't give it on the show on friday the browns covered i'm lucky i didn't give the vikings as the upset special the next one on my list here the washington football team came back from basically dead to rights. They were trailing that entire game against the Atlanta Falcons, but Arthur Smith and the Falcons were unable to move along from their Vikings, their, excuse me, Vikings, 
their Falcons DNA and blowing a big lead, even though they played a really good game on offense. I mean, in a game where Cordero Patterson has 34.6 fantasy points, you would imagine the Falcons won that game pretty comfortably, but the Falcons' total inability to stop anything on defense was a legitimate problem. Washington featuring Taylor Heineke, who's not exactly Brett Favre in the pocket, was able to pass for three touchdowns, multiple two-point conversions late in the game. They found J.D. McKissick. So here's how bad the Atlanta defense is. So Taylor Heineke under center, takes a snap, rolls left. He is outside of the number of the yard line where he took the snap. He throws back across the width of the field towards the opposite number from the left to the right number on the field. J.D. McKissick goes into the end zone untouched. That is how bad the Atlanta Falcon defense is. They are incapable of covering a running back on a check down from at least 25 yards out. If you said 5, 10, okay, everybody's going towards the quarterback. There's not enough time to recover and get back to the other sideline. 35, 40 yards. That is how long the J.D. McKissick touchdown was. And if Atlanta had even a modicum of a pulse on defense, it doesn't happen. You tackle that guy for a gain of a couple yards, and it's a turnover on downs, and you win the football game. Atlanta's total inability to play defense is what will keep that team from being competitive, which sucks because I thought Atlanta would be decent. I thought Atlanta would win somewhere between 7 and 10 games because they have so much talent on offense, and that's just not the case. It sucks having to admit you were wrong, but Atlanta stinks. Matt Ryan looks washed. There was the one interception where I know it was fourth down and he was down before he threw the ball. But at full speed, the referees ruled it an interception. And the defensive back on the Redskins, excuse Redskins, Roger Goodell is going to yell at me. The football team. Caught the ball like he was fielding a punt how much time he had to field the ball. I know Washington isn't particularly good. They'll hang around in the NFC East. I don't know for how long because it does seem like Dallas is actually good, which we're going to get to shortly. But Washington's defense kept them in that game against the Atlanta Falcons. And against bad teams, Washington defense will keep them in game next one which is nice i don't have to spend a lot of time talking about the buffalo bills hosting the texans winning 40 to nothing josh allen took care of business four passing touchdowns excuse me three passing touchdowns one rushing touchdown whole smorgasbord of rushing and passing yards against probably the least talented roster in all of football Emmanuel Sanders, couple catches, Dawson Knox, Stephon Diggs. Everybody in that Bills offense got to take care of business today. The Bills look like the team they were last year. Granted, we'll actually get a good barometer of how good the Bills are on Sunday Night Football next week against the Kansas City Chiefs. But at the very least, we know the Bills can run up the score on bad teams. Mitchell Trubisky got in on the score and got himself a rushing touchdown. 
When the Bills' offense is clicking, there are a few that are able to compare with it. I know everybody wants to point to Kansas City as the best offense in football. I am amongst those people because I do think Mahomes is still better than Josh Allen. But at the very least, the Bills' offense is easily in the top five. Their ability to push the ball down the field, their ability to score in the red zone, whether it be guys who get on the stat sheet every now and then like Dawson Knox or more consistently like Stephon Diggs or an Emmanuel Sanders, the Bills have the ability to score. And even if their defense isn't particularly good, which we don't know yet because Buffalo hasn't played a good offense yet, we will find out next week on Sunday Night Football against the Chiefs, but... Buffalo looks to be decent. They will. They easily seem to be the best team in that division. We're going to get to the Jets-Titans, who the Jets won against Tennessee. We'd already talked a little bit during the introduction about New England flopping against Tampa Bay. But it kind of seems like this is the Bills division to lose barring absolute disaster and even disaster if they had to start Mitch Trubisky I still don't know if they would be the worst team in that division next on the list the game I think I saw the least on NFL red zone the Giants going to New Orleans the Giants winning in overtime Saquon Barkley had his first good game since the 2019 calendar year against the Washington football team. The Saints do not trust Jameis Winston was my most glaring takeaway from that game. Just not nearly enough pass attempts. I understand they still don't have Michael Thomas. And they're limited to Jawan Johnson, Adam Troutman, Taysom Hill, Marcus Callaway. They don't exactly have the all-pro team out there to catch passes. But you have Alvin Kamara. The Giants' best linebacker, Blake Martinez, is out for the year. The Saints' total inability to press the ball in between the numbers to Kamara is a glaring hole in their game plan. He had an okay fantasy day, but... When you expect Alvin Kamara against a mediocre-to-bad defense, you expect at least 20 fantasy points. You expect a couple touchdowns. And yes, the Giants got lucky. They played for the field goal at the end of regulation. They broke a couple tackles in that overtime where Saquon scored the game-winning touchdown. I can admit, every now and then when I'm wrong, I thought... Saquon looked slow, that he wasn't getting open, that he looked uncomfortable in the backfield, that he wasn't going to be able to push the ball down the field, that he wasn't going to be able to break some big runs, but Saquon was the deciding factor in the game on Sunday. The two big plays that Saquon had, the two touchdowns, were the deciding factor in the game. I I can't exaggerate that can't diminish what he did the two Saquon touchdowns were the deciding factor in Sunday's game and I say that as someone who's been very critical of Saquon Barkley's production this season that he's just not doing enough like at some level yes the Giants aren't incorporating him enough and that is a real problem that if you're going to draft a guy second overall 
you got to be putting him in a position to succeed. But when you, they do give you the ball, Saquon, you got to break some tackles. You got to make some guys miss. And he wasn't doing that for quite a while this season. And yes, I spent the weekend with my girlfriend's family, talked the Giants went into new existence. Literally, the last thing I said before I left her house talking to both her brothers and her dad that Giants can win tomorrow. They need to get lucky and they need the Saints to mess up. But the Giants hung around. They weren't particularly good, but they took care of business. And that's all you can ask for from a bad team. That's the thing. If you're a bad team that's in every game, you got to steal one against a better team every now and then, which is what the Giants did. I still think the Saints are a decent baseball team, and it'll take a little while for that to unfold. But at the very least, at the very, very least, you know you were able to beat the Saints. And if you are a bad Giants team, you at least know, at least know, you can hang around with decent teams. And I don't know if the Giants are as they played the first couple weeks of the season, but at the very least, you know that on any given day, they can hang around. And that is what matters, because for the first three weeks, they did not look like they could hang around with good teams based on them blowing a lead to Atlanta, losing to Washington, and losing to Denver. But I do have to give credit where credit is due. I thought the Giants had zero chance going into the Superdome the first game after a hurricane. I had the Saints in multiple bets this weekend, and hand up, the Giants won. The Giants did get considerably lucky. The Saints did not trust Winston to be aggressive enough to win that game. But, hey, you can only win based on how your opponent is playing you. So, for at least one week, I can pass on criticizing Joe Judge because the other team was more less aggressive than he was. The Saints, 40 seconds left. On defense, the Giants settle for a field goal, get to overtime, no real threat on offense. Next on the list, the Kansas City Chiefs went to Philadelphia. Andy Reid faced his former team. They took care of business. The Chiefs won 42-30. Score was never that close as the final score reflected. Patrick Mahomes threw four or five touchdowns. Philadelphia, lot of injuries. One starter from opening day, Jason Kelsey, the center, one of the great centers of this modern era. Only starter from opening day, healthy for the Birds. Not really a chance on offense, not really a chance on defense. That was always going to be a difficult game purely based on the situation because Kansas City was sitting at 1-2 and two and Everybody and their mother had Kansas City in a tease and a money line parlay, purely based on the fact Kansas City was not going to go one and three against an underhanded Eagles team. That was always going to be a difficult battle, but when push came to shove, there wasn't really much of a contest. I mean, Mahomes threw for less than 300 yards, and 
the Chiefs still comfortably won that game. I mean, he threw touchdowns in garbage time, and it kind of seems like running up the score to some degree. But Kansas City took care of their business. It was going to take a lot for the Eagles to win this game, and they just did not have it to win this game. And Jalen Hurts showed you a little bit more today than he did against the Dallas defense, but... The Dallas defense might not be terrible, which we are about to get to talking about their game against Carolina, but as we get bigger samples, we can start to draw definitive judgments about specific units against their head-to-head matchups, what types of things they're good against, and what types of things they're bad against, but Philly's total inability to move the ball, considering how bad Kansas City's defense was, It's not disqualifying of Philadelphia to be able to win some games, but at the very least, that's got to be in the back of your mind thinking about the Eagles in any wager going forward that they weren't really able to move the ball on offense until garbage time. And as a team that, you know, was billed on being good in the trenches and having a good secondary, you got to have a lot left to be desired as the Eagles. The Eagles were supposed to be good in the trenches and in the secondary, and Kansas City moved the ball at will against them. That is not good if you are the Eagles. And I know I'm saying that with, like, a dismissive tone because the Eagles were supposed to be better than that, but, like, the Eagles were supposed to be better than that. Like, just no bullshit. The Eagles were supposed to be good in the trenches. If Jalen Hurts lost them games, he lost them games, but... Eagles are supposed to be able to move the ball on offense and and stop the pass on defense, and they got dotted up today. I know it's Patrick Mahomes, but, like, sheesh, man. Make a friggin' tackle. Keep someone in front of you. Next on the docket, the Panthers went to Dallas. Dallas won that game 36-28. Like I told you on Friday's podcast, Dallas is just better. I thought Dallas was going to win that game purely based on talent. Dallas took care of business. Carolina hung around in that game. Sam Darnold had two rushing touchdowns, a passing touchdown. Trayvon Diggs is cementing himself as one of the best cover corners in the NFL early in his career. This is only his second season in the league out of Alabama. I believe he has seven interceptions on the season through four weeks, which is absolutely insane. For someone who did not play a lot last year and did not get a ton of repetitions. But if they're going to give them to you, man, got to take them. And Trayvon Diggs has done that for that Dallas defense. The Dan Quinn All-Stars, as I believe it was Nate Tice of the NFL NFL Athletic Show. The, excuse me, the Athletic NFL Show. Got to say it in order so you get the title right if you wanted to look it up. Talked about. Dallas is just rolling the dice. They're going to send pressure or they're going to drop and they're going to try and force turnovers out of you because they don't have enough talent on defense to just cover or just pass rush. So they mix it up, roll the dice, and make you guess as an offense what is going to come at you. They took care of business today. The score was 36-28, but... I never really felt that close in terms of a neutral observer expected. It kind of felt like Dallas was always firmly in control of that game. 
And that's even though CeeDee Lamb only had two or three catches the entire day. And that's their guy. Like, I know they have Amari Cooper. I know they have Dawson Schultz and um, Blake Jarwin. I know they have Zeke. I know they have Tony Pollard. But, like, CeeDee Lamb's their number one receiver based on where they drafted him and how they've used him. And he had three catches and, like, 40-something yards the entire day. I know Amari Cooper had a touchdown. I know Dawson Schultz had one. I know they were able to move the ball up and down the field, all that kind of stuff. But, like, for CeeDee Lamb to not really have an impact in this game and Dallas to still win comfortably is a telltale sign for the rest of the NFC East. And you heard her here. I've been saying it since week one. I always felt like it was Dallas's division to lose. And we're getting there. It does seem like the Eagles stink. It does seem like the Giants stink. It does seem like Washington is not as good as we expected. So it does seem like Dallas actually might win this division pretty comfortably. Next. I thought Kyle Shanahan would have something for the Seahawks. Seattle came into that game. They got out in front early. Jimmy Garoppolo got hurt. Trey Lance had to go in. Trey Lance did not look good for the 49ers. I hate having to admit it, but every now and then, Kyle acts like he's a lot smarter than he is. He boxes himself into a corner. And you get games like what happened on Sunday where I didn't think San Francisco played particularly poorly. It's just that... Jimmy was throwing into tighter windows. He's not the most accurate tight window thrower. He wasn't able to find his guys. I know George Kittle's playing with a rough calf that he wasn't 100%. He wasn't going to be able to get as much separation as he usually would, able to find those soft spots in the defense. San Francisco playing with a depleted running back room. Trey Sermon got a lot of the work for the 49ers, but... It felt like Seattle was always in control of that game, and it never felt like the uh, the 49ers, excuse me, were able to get back in control because they weren't able to establish the run. That is the one indictment I have of Kyle Shanahan's offense, particularly in the regular season, is that if the running game is not working for the 49ers, they aren't able to pass because all of their passing offense is predicated on the ability to run the run. Or at the very least, the defense respecting the offense's ability to run. And there was none of that on Sunday. The Seahawks did not respect San Francisco's ability to run. So they were just dropping guys in coverage and daring both Jimmy Garoppolo. And then once he got hurt, Trey Lance to throw the ball into coverage. Because they know if either of those guys is going to have to throw a new tight coverage, they're not going to be able to hit those windows. Easy job for the defense. Seattle desperately... Needed that win to get to 2-2-2. Two two. Next up, Arizona handedly beat my Los Angeles Rams, who I was touting as a Super Bowl favorite last week. The Cardinals closed as four-and-a-half-point underdogs. They won 37-20, the first Cliff Kingsbury win against Sean McVay. I will admit, that was my primary force in picking the Rams to win and to cover that Sean McVay was just smarter than Cliff Kingsbury. That was the basis for a lot of my rationale for picking the Rams. It was just the simple assumption that Sean McVay would be able to outcoach Cliff Kingsbury. That was not the case on Sunday. 
The Cardinals easily took care of the Rams. The Rams did not look good on offense. A couple interceptions. Matt Stafford underthrowing Deshaun Jackson on a deep ball on a double move was kind of uninspiring. I know, I know the Rams were going to lose a game at some point during the course of the season. I didn't expect them to go 17-0, but I did expect them to handle a Cardinals team that basically had a boomer bust defense that if they didn't get a sack was easily getting torched. I mean, Kirk Cousins threw for 300-something yards against them. I figured Matthew Stafford and the Rams would be able to do that, but hey. Everybody gets some things wrong. I mean, I thought the Rams were easily the best team in the NFC, but after Sunday, I do think that is worth revisiting. I might touch on that at the end of the show. Green Bay took care of business against a dilapidated corpse of a Pittsburgh Steelers team, 27-17. That was the Troy Aikman-Joe Buck game where... The Steelers just do not have a functioning offense at this moment. They are unable to run the ball with any efficiency. Big Ben takes the scattered deep shots solely based on the predicate of keeping the defense honest without any real accuracy. Without Chase Claypool to win those jump balls, the Steelers' offense was just totally inefficient today. And I don't know if you're the Steelers, if you can just bench Big Ben based on what he means to the franchise, what he means to the team, the fans, all that kind of thing, kind of like the the Giants when they had to bench Eli and they went to Geno Smith, but the Steelers have a good enough defense where if you have just a mediocre quarterback, I think you could probably make the playoffs, so sooner rather than later, the Steelers, specifically Mike Tomlin, are going to have to make the decision whether... Mason Rudolph is good enough for the Steelers to win nine games and get them to that wild card round of the playoffs because Ben just isn't good enough. I know his stat line was not horrendous when push came to shove today, but he never really gave you a great chance of winning the football game, which is what which is what you need from your quarterback. I mean, 40 pass attempts, 26 completions, 230 yards, one touchdown, one pick. Nine and a half fantasy points from a starting quarterback who threw the ball 40 times. That's not good enough. That's not efficient. I mean, I'm not expecting the Steelers offense to set the world on fire. But at the very least, man, I mean, you got Deontay Johnson. You got uh, Juju Smith-Schuster. You got Pat Fryermuth. You got Evan Ebron. You got Najee Harris. I know your offensive line isn't particularly good, but, like, move the ball. It's not that hard to scheme a good offense, which is what is so frustrating when you see teams like Pittsburgh, like the Giants, like Miami, like Indianapolis, who have talent all over their offense, but they just can't move the ball for the intangible moving of the ball, which sucks. Because if you've got enough talent to be able to move the ball, you would think that somebody in... A vacuum with the dry race board would be able to figure out enough plays to be able to move the ball. Next, I've got Baltimore-Denver. Not a ton on this list. Baltimore-Denver, last thing I got before I talk about New England and Tampa. It never felt like Denver was particularly close in this game. I know Baltimore shorthanded down a couple receivers, a couple linemen, a couple defensive players, Lamar playing injured, but... The final score was 23-7. to This was the one 
bet in my gut I felt good about going into Sunday like Stone Cold Lock aside from all the other ones that like I felt like at the very least I knew we were going to go one and three because I felt like Baltimore would be able to handle Denver and Baltimore thoroughly handled Denver. I mean, I know Teddy Bridgewater left with an injury. They had to go to Drew Locke. Drew Locke is not the most talented guy, the most efficient guy. I'm not going to hit guys who are wide open, that kind of thing. I know you don't want to see that if you're just a fan of football. You want to see a competitive game. But with Drew Locke, that Denver offense is just uncompetitive. And if Drew Locke is going to be the starter for any extended period of time, I think you can thoroughly right off Denver in that division going forward. I don't know if you're going to be able to win that division with just average or mediocre quarterback play. And, like, I full well know I'm saying that about a team that had Teddy Bridgewater as their everyday starting quarterback. Like, at the very least, I figured Denver would hang around in a lot of games, but... With Drew Luck, they did not have a chance. 24-7 is an uncompetitive score. That is not a score you can hang your hat on. The last thing I want to talk about before I briefly touch on college football. I know New England lost. I know New England settled for a field goal and missed the field goal at the end there. I thought Belichick called a great game on defense. I thought the Patriots were going to win that game until they went for the field goal. I thought if they went for the first down at fourth and six and they got the first down, I legitimately thought New England was going to win that game. I found myself rooting for New England in that game. I found myself rooting for Belichick against Brady based on principle because I know Bill is a football guy with a reverence for the sport. And I know... I know Brady is a football guy with a reverence for football, but to some degree, I feel like Bill holds football as an idea in a higher regard. In my heart of hearts, I feel like Belichick has to retire from the Patriots and just end up as the football coach at Navy for a couple of years because his dad was the coach at Navy. And I thought the Patriots are going to win that game Sunday night. I mean, the Patriots had moved the ball as well as they did on Sunday night the previous three games. I know Mac Jones isn't great, but he was finding guys. He found John Uwe, he found Hunter Henry, Nelson Aguilar. He was finding Damian Harris and Brandon Bolden. And all the guys you forgot were still on the Patriots. And it sucks New England lost that game by two points. I mean, 1917 is a tough draw. I still... In my heart of hearts, I think if you gave Bill a mulligan, I think he goes for it on fourth and six instead of settling for the field goal. But there's just no way of knowing, which is what sucks about football, because no coach is ever going to tell you the honest truth because they don't want to second-guess their guy. Bill probably thought Folk could have made that field goal, but I think I would have rather lost the game knowing Mac Jones threw an incompletion or an interception or short of the sticks as opposed to settling for a missed field goal because your kicker already had missed one he's kind of hurt it's raining just based on variables i think i would have settled for going for it on fourth down and if mac jones doesn't get it at least i could sleep my wife i could sleep at night knowing i didn't leave anything on the field 
you always want to have the ball in your best player's hands. And aside from Matthew Judon and the Patriots defense, who had an absolutely amazing night, who stopped so much in the run, was an effective pass rusher, I thought Mac Jones was terrific. Yes, I know all his throws were underneath to open guys, but if you scheme an easy offense, your quarterback plays well. It's what I wish Jason Garrett would do. It's what I wish Matt Nagy would do with Fields. Make your quarterback's life easier so they have easier throws. It is not as difficult as they like to make it out. So we're at 47 minutes. I'm not going to dwell too long on college because all the games that were supposed to be exciting, disappointed. Georgia shut out Arkansas. Alabama shut out Ole Miss in the first half. Penn State handled Indiana. Michigan handled Wisconsin. Cincinnati handled Notre Dame. Penn State, Iowa next Saturday is going to be for... It's not quite for the Big Ten title because they're in opposite divisions, but Penn State wins that game. They're going to have a real good argument. Penn State wins that game and then loses to either Michigan or Ohio State with one loss. Penn State going into Ames, the number four AP team versus the number three AP team. That Penn State team will have quite the argument. I'm mad at Dan Mullen for making me look like a dumbass in my group chat because I told people, nah, don't bet Kentucky. Bet LSU. LSU has a loss to Auburn at LSU since 1998. LSU will figure it out. I know Max Johnson and that offensive line haven't been great, but it's LSU at home against a team who hasn't beaten them in Death Valley since 1998. No, don't bet. Don't bet Kentucky against Florida. Kentucky hasn't beat Florida at home since the 80s. Come on. This is easy money. Bet Florida, bet LSU. Easy money. I lost both of them. I feel like a dumbass. I let my friends down. A college football slate this upcoming weekend. We've got the Red River rivalry, Texas, Oklahoma. We've got Penn State, Iowa. We've got a whole lot to talk about. This is the Monday episode tomorrow. Tuesday morning, we are going to talk to Darren Palmer ahead of the Yankee Red Sox wildcard game. We're going to unpack every possible scenario. We've got a whole lot in store for this upcoming week. I cannot wait to talk to you guys tomorrow. I hope you guys enjoyed today's show. I'm still mad the Patriots kicked the field goal, man. Bill should have went for it. I'll see you guys tomorrow.